It's nine minutes now before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Akawa. We now shift gears slightly and go into uh, the world of money and power. And uh, I'm joined on the line uh, to uh, take a look at uh, all of the happenings in the world of money by Bright Kumalo, who's an analyst at Vestact Asset Management. Bulazi, good evening to you and welcome, my brother. Good evening, Ayabong. Lovely to be at your show. Yeah, as always, my brother. A pleasure. Um, Bulazi, let's maybe start off uh, before we even get to what's happening with the Monetary Policy Committee. This yeah. story out at the Suez Canal uh, is something that I find very, very interesting. I mean, uh, Suez Canal has certainly been a topical issue uh, in the global trade uh, since it was, um, I guess, put together in uh, the late 19th century. Uh, many, yeah. many of the superpowers are fighting over it. And it seems now, uh, what's the name of the ship? Evergreen. I don't know Correct. what they were doing here. Dead break. Uh, handbrake 10 or what was happening uh, but they certainly managed to block the canal uh, and at great cost to many of the oil producers and others uh, who use uh, I guess uh, shipping by sea to get their products to their markets correct I mean we're talking about a 200 sorry 200 sorry 220 <laughs> you see these numbers chief 224,000 ton container ship basically blocking the Suez Canal after getting into difficulty and running aground basically uh, during a dust storm there. So about eight tugboats apparently are attempting to, um, you know, free the boat. Uh, and obviously they haven't been, you know, having a lot of success with that. Um, just to give you some of the stats, you know, uh, like you were talking about the Suez Canal and, you know, uh, its inception. So apparently an average of about 51.5 ships actually go through that, you know, uh, canal or in transit, sorry. A day? Yeah. Per day, correct. Yes. So yes 9.6 billion US dollars worth in traffic. Exactly. So if we're talking about two days... Uh, or three days, it goes from, you know, zero to 20 billion US dollars uh, of, you know, revenues lost for these big businesses. So sure. it's it's a really big, uh, you know, vessel problem that you're having, you know, blocking the canal there. So you need to fix this problem as much as you can, as quickly as possible. So so, so what's happening here? I mean, I, I saw a picture there of uh, one of these dredging machines. I mean, it, it, it looks like an ant in relation to the size of this particular ship. Uh, but uh, my understanding is that they're trying to dredge some of the mud in the water around the different ends of the ship. Um, and then, of course, they might have to unload some of it, which would include, of course, offloading some of the oil. Correct. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm no specialist in shipping or anything like that, but... It, it, it's not as easy as you know when you have a you know a roadblock or your your car. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think the, the the tweet that went viral on on, on Twitter basically uh, is of my boss saying that if this ship was steered by a Josie taxi driver, <laughs> you know, you would have hit a hand big turn and hit the curb and still move, right? Yep. But now. Yep. <laughs> We've got, you know, people who are in a, in a different line of work, uh, you know, steering the ships, unfortunately, got stuck. Uh, 1.17 billion tons uh, that's handled by these, you know, big ships uh, per year, um, in, in the, you know, that passed by there. Uh, unfortunately, um, it needs to be sorted out. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be a ripple effect depending basically, uh, with all of those goods that need to go ashore or offshore. Mm, 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 mm. 
Yeah, it's certainly going to be a tough one. And of course, I guess the, the other prospect, which many of them uh, are dreading, is uh, having, I guess, to via their ships uh, via the coastline of South Africa and the Cape of Good Hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and with the rise of e-commerce, it just makes you wonder, you know, how much backup this is going to cause. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you're waiting for something uh, from uh, one of these big players or Amazon and whatever, uh, you might, uh, I guess, have to end up waiting a lot more, um, especially if it comes from the eastern part of the world. But Mbulazi, let's shift away from uh, global trade and take a look at what came out of the Monetary Policy Committee. Unanimous decision to keep rates unchanged. What do you make of this? Sure. I mean, Stats SA said that, you know, consumer price inflation accelerated to the slowest pace in eight months. Um, you know, slipping beyond uh, or below um, our central bank's, you know, range of between 3% and 6%. So, mm. uh, you know, the 3.2% in January uh, is the lowest inflation basically since June 2020, where we saw 2.2%. So we'll take any good news here. But, uh, but then again, this reminds me of another argument, which, you know, people say, you know, all the important things are actually experiencing inflation in your mm. life. You would know these things like, you know, food, sure, uh, staples, sure. etc., and all of the things that are actually um, experiencing deflation. We talk about electronics, things that are not needs, they actually want. Mm, mm. So that's not good news. Bulaz, I was about to say, I mean, just to comment on that, um, I think it's quite clear, uh, you know, we often talk about inflation as the economy overheating. Uh, and in this case, you know, the, the big drivers of uh, inflation, as you rightfully say, are administered prices like the uh, tariff structure of uh, electricity. Uh, yep. You know, it's uh, the shifts in uh, the Brent crude oil price and uh, the implications that's going to have for prices across the entire economy. So many people in Ecos One would say that's more cost push inflation rather than maybe demand pull inflation uh, or inflation that is on the back of people spending more money. We know that it's, it's, it's virtually impossible in South Africa considering where our economy or the performance of our economy in the past five, ten years. And where wages are as well, yeah. Exactly. I mean, we've got, we've got stagnant wages. Um, we have, you know, the economy going backwards instead of growing. So it's definitely, there's no demand there. So you wouldn't see much uh, in terms of, uh, you know, demand pull inflation, mm. which would, you know, uh, lead to increase in, in salaries and wages. People are seeing, you know, a lot of productivity on the ground. We're actually experiencing the opposite. So unfortunately, we find ourselves in that, you know, um, unfortunate event. But I guess, you know, our government will do the best, you know, to get us out of the mud. Mm. Uh, but again, COVID hasn't done us a favor because we basically took, you know, we went back 10 steps. Now we went back 50 steps. Ish, ish. And, and I guess when we look at this, um, Mbulazi, especially for the implications that it's going to have for capital markets, uh, which you guys, uh, you know, observe uh, in most cases. I mean, we're seeing the stimulus and the flood of cheap money coming through from European and American uh, central banks. And, uh, you know, that's certainly going to have implications for our own capital markets here. Um, What do you make, I guess, of how the next 18 months are going to be on the financial side of things in the economy? And by implication, I guess, how we might anticipate the MPC to respond uh, over the next uh, few quarters? Sure. Uh, I have no idea where inflation is going to go. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but if there's, you know, if I had to, you know, put my money on something, I'd say if the South African government, this is a big if, 
can actually administer the COVID vaccine, you know, as one of the fastest countries mm. in Africa, that gives us a chance to actually, you know, play fairly and, you know, be ahead of, um, you know, our, our fellow countries, uh, you know, in Africa in terms of, uh, you know, economic recovery. But from where we are today, we've seen a very slow uptake or actually administering of the COVID vaccine itself. In South Africa, unlike in other countries, like, you know, the United States and Europe, where people are protesting the vaccine for various reasons. Um, in South Africa, you hear a lot of people actually wanting the vaccine mm. and wanting to go back to work because it's not nice not having income. Also, people are, are getting tired of working from home. So uh, you, you're seeing a, a lot more people basically keen on getting out of the house and going back, uh, getting, getting to work and getting their hands dirty. But the government is not playing their role in actually, you know, availing the administering of the vaccine itself. So wow. we, we, we found ourselves sitting at home twiddling our thumbs, not knowing what to do because we're just waiting on this vaccine so our yeah. lives can get back on the go again. Yeah, it's a real pity. I mean, uh, I, I was just talking about, um, you know, this vaccine issue um, and I guess the, the implications that has with, with, uh, with a friend of mine because the reality of it, I mean, is aside from some of the um, implementation research doses that we administered, um, yes. you know, to a few people, I think they started off uh, with a nurse out there in the Western Cape. That is done. Um, and what's next? What has been yeah, the yeah, news? And, and, and the other issue, now? of course, is, is, is that we're sitting here now and we're not sure where the next sort of vaccine is going to come from, whom it's going to come from. Uh, we do know, of course, that we're selling some of the AstraZeneca stuff, but, you know, Zipa Zing. Yeah, I mean, the study was for J&J, right? Where is J&J and Aspen and their collaboration? Uh, no, Chief, no, no, no. J&J gave you the ones that were signed off for ethics clearance for research, Chief. So, so no nothing more. else for no South more. Africans. No, no, you must cut a deal. <laughs> cut a deal doesn't mean because we're manufacturing in your country. Uh, you know, part wow. of our uh, consignment that now we must just you know knock there in Pretoria and say take. Uh, uh-uh. uh, cut a deal. I, I think instead of you know toy toying at you know Lutuli House or up in Pretoria, we should go down in the Eastern Cape in the factories. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> there might be some outcome there. We should actually mobilize people for a good cause. I like that, man. I like that. You're saying let's take the deals out of the corridors of power and uh, cut a people's deal. Exactly. Uh, I said, yeah, I certainly like that idea. But uh, I think Bulazi. I mean, you know, the other critical element to to this entire story is that a lot of the timeline, be it of our inflationary expectations or, or even some of the predictions of what growth is going to do, are largely going to yeah. be driven by the virus. They're not going to be driven by anything else. Uh, and I yeah. think, yeah, you know, it's it's about time that we accept that. Let's shift, though, our attention and stay in the Eastern Cape, not too far from where some of these vaccines are being produced. Um, we would have seen last week the Department of Energy releasing, you know, some of the successful bidders for, um, you know, uh, one of the uh, sort of waves of renewable procurement, if I can put it that way. Uh, there were two projects there out in the Eastern Cape, out in Kuha. Uh, and I guess, you know, one of the projects that had uh, potentially been looking uh, for an opportunity there was um, a project being operated by the Watson family. Now, uh, Ronnie and Valence Watson, uh, the brothers of uh, the late Gavin Watson, uh, they have uh, a farm in the Hruid Winterhook Mountains established in 2012 uh, and, um, yeah, submitted a bid here under Inyanda Energy Projects for a 187 megawatts and 47 turbine Inyanda Roederplatt wind energy facility. But it seems that area has many black eagles 
um, and uh, something called a martial eagle, a black harrier. And therefore, many of these uh, propellers, I would think of uh, the uh, turbines, uh, would uh, lead to the mortality of some of these endangered species. What's the story here? And uh, we've also seen, I guess, the overturning of whatever environmental approval they would have received. Correct. So a review basically uh, was done and they found that these wind farms basically uh, are going to pose a very great risk uh, to these, I mean, these apex predators you're referring to, um, you know, they include the martial eagle. Uh, one of my favorites, actually, it's a massive, yen massive yen eagle. Yen <laughs> And no, it's just a beautiful bird. And I mean, it's an apex predator. So that's what it does. It eats, you know, rodents. Yeah, and, uh, mm. <laughs> yes, not humans, just other animals. <laughs> yes. And South Africa has actually done a great job in keeping these, uh, you know, endangered species uh, alive. And obviously by creating such a massive farm, uh, it does pose a great risk to this. Again, I mean, this could easily be a meme, right, uh, where we're trying to get away from ESCOM and, you know, find alternative uh, sources of energy. Uh, but, um, you know, conservation, uh, you know, you know, becomes then the wall that stands between us uh, and, and achieving our goals. But again, you and I had this conversation of, you know, giving the independent power producers, you know, the, the ability to come into the grid. But actually come to the grid that matters. That is the core of South Africa where basically 80% of economic activity uh, operates or happens. Bring it here in Joburg. There are no martial eagles here. Leave, you know, the countryside to be the countryside and focus on conservation there ah. and invest and donate in conservation nice. efforts. But and come back home want, here. But we also we want the uh, wind investments there. In Joburg. But we want the wind investments there in the rural areas as well. We do, but we need to start where things matter. You know, there's a lot of energy, you know, uh, you know what, what's the word I'm looking ah, for? No um, one has wind like that part of the world, brother. Not ask wind. people from PE. There's other alternatives. We no, have so people much sun PE, in Joburg. Ask people there from <laughs> PE. It's bad. I know, I know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we still have to take care of the environment, right? Sure, sure, no, definitely. Leave I mean, it I mean, in, a, in a place and condition where we found it when we, you know, we yes, came to yes, the planet. Yes. We shouldn't destroy it. No, definitely. So, I'm being flippant there, but I, and, and I think you're correct there. There does need to be some balance between, you know, uh, ecological and environmental conservation. Um, and, of course, the, I guess, advance of our energy supply and security and, and uh, industrialization. Uh, and there's so many other parts of that uh, particular coastal strip where you could be locating a wind farm. Um, so I think if, you know, the Marshall Eagle, uh, your favorite eagle is there, and uh, Black Eagle and many others... Um, then it might be worth, I guess, thinking also about the potential bird watching and tourism dollars that could, exactly. could come with that, uh, which um, for all intents and purposes might be more ecologically sustainable. Bulaz, just before I let you go, um, let's talk about the story. I mean, a very interesting story here about black uh, African-American farmers in the U.S. who, I guess for centuries, have been redlined out of any form of uh, credit support from you know, the federal government, effectively now continuing, I guess, a long tradition of marching to Capitol Hill uh, to uh, fight for more equitable and inclusive lending behavior on the part of some of the state financial institutions. What's happening here? And I guess, uh, how does it fit into all of the debates on stimulus that are happening uh, undoubtedly out in Washington? 
Yeah, I mean, if every individual, um, it's only fair that these, you know, business people also get their, their fair share of the stimulus. I mean, I'm, I'm on their side, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Plus, We'll have to leave it there, my brother. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, we're going to follow that p- particular story very closely because um, I guess it certainly does uh, a place into sharp focus, uh, this idea of uh, the land question, which uh, not only is playing itself out here in South Africa, but also playing itself out as um, can be expected in other parts of the world, um, notably now in the United States of America. Bright Kumalo, thank you very much for your time, my brother. Thanks. Thank you. That there was a bright Kumalo speaking to us for our business wrap. And he's an analyst all the way out at Vestact Asset Management. We're going to take a brief break now. When we come back, Dumak Kubula is my thought leader on this Thursday. Uh, we talk fiscal policy. We talk uh, his early days, of course, uh, as a researcher, as a journalist. And, uh, of course, prior to that, as uh, what many would call a clip hoya.